Hey, beer nerds, and welcome back. We're still transitioning the old Building Breweries podcast uh, to the new Kentucky Commons Radio Hour format, uh, whatever that might look like. But until then, we did want to go ahead and share the recorded audio uh, from another panel, uh, from the Women and Beer panel we hosted during Louisville Beer Week on October 27th last month. Enjoy. Uh, hey, so first of all, thank you all for coming to our Women and Beer panel as far as the Louisville Beer Week. We did this two years ago in this same location. So thank you very much to Logan Street Market and to Wild Hops for hosting us again, and even in a bigger space this time too. So we're all pretty comfortable here, I think. So big shout out to Logan Street Market. <laughs> Additionally, just in general for Louisville Beer Week, shout out to uh, West Six, Against the Green, and Highwire for making all this possible. Shout out to Middleton Reitlinger uh, for making the uh, audio and video recording of this possible. Very happy to have all these nice ladies here tonight. I, I've already mentioned this before to a couple of them privately, but I literally wouldn't be here like in this industry right now uh, with, without their support and, and them kind of training me along the way too. So thank you all. I'd like to now introduce our moderator, Kinsey from uh, Boys Are From Mars and Podcast and Highwire, and uh, she'll introduce our panelists. Thank you for coming. Um, first of all, let's give the John, Michael, and David a round of applause for my old trip. Elbow, my old trip this together, and we'll be here. All right, like Michael said, we'll go down and introduce all of our panelists. We'll start with Caitlin here. So Caitlin, uh, tell me your name, what brewery you work for, and what your title is, or br restaurant or bar. Um, yeah, hi everybody, um, I'm Caitlin Kohlberg. I work at West Six Brewing, um, and I just recently opened um, West Six Nulu, and I'm the taproom manager over there. So happy to be here with all these amazing women. Lori, you can go. Hi, my name is Lori Beck. I'm the co-owner of what is now called The Grails, uh, Holy Grail, Grail House, and Grail Goods, and um, the recently departed Louisville Beer Store. <laughs> R.I.P. Um, hello, everyone. I'm Amelia Pillow, and I am the owner and brewmaster at Shipping Port Brewing Company and the Sally Forth Taproom. I'm Leah Dinas. I am the co-owner of Apocalypse Brewworks and the head brewer, and I work for two brewery cats. <laughs> Shout out to brewery cats. Um, so like, we introduced them, and to get them, they're all a little nervous, so I'm just going to hit them with one quick question to loosen them up. What is your favorite beer? <sighs> Usually it's the one in my hand, but... <laughs> are you, who are you starting with? Are we going like... I could be... Are we going like... Caitlin, you're just going to go America? America? Are we talking like... Oh. Kentucky? Are we talking like local? No, if, if someone asks you what your favorite beer is, what's your answer? Oh man, unfortunately I'm going to say this and it sounds like maybe douchey, sorry. Uh, but, I mean, the Wessex IPA is like the only beer I drink like pretty much all the time at the brewery, always and probably every West Coast IPA that I can get at every single brewery from these ladies and everybody else that owns a brewery out there. West Coast IPA, let's go. 
<laughs> it was a homer pick, but we'll take it. Lori, favorite beer? Impossible question, but uh, I would say Orval uh, because it's available all around the world at many different types of locations. Um, and it's like a constantly changing, interesting beer that never gets old. It's beautiful and it never disappoints. So I'll say Orval. I also enjoyed the hell out of that beer, but usually my favorite beer is the most recent beer that we put on tap because I've been waiting for it to like be on and then when it actually gets there, I'm so freaking stoked and uh, right now we just have the Schwartz beer that I love so much. Uh, Alright Amelia, you gotta explain to everyone what Schwartz beer is. Uh, so Schwartz is basically German for black and so it's a black lager um, and uh, it's not a style that you see very often and to be honest, I believe, sorry, Lori would probably know better a commercial like option for Cost There we go. Okay. Everybody's got it but me. Um, I haven't had one of those in a long time, um, but uh, I do really enjoy the style and uh, it's just, you know, it's dark. It has all the roasty kind of chocolatey character to it, but it's a lager, so it's super crisp and um, I'm not somebody who enjoys like a really chewy uh, malt-driven beer, so it's the beer for me in, in the fall times. And Leah. It's really good and it's on tap right now at Shipping Board. Also at Fall City collaboration. There. <laughs> awesome. awesome. Yeah, it, I, I won a national medal with that in the national hunger competition. I I love that style. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. BBC brewed it. Oh, nice. And they sent it to GABF. Cool. For uh, the 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 homebrewer part. So that was a really long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, my favorite my favorite style is it's wheat beer and um, any kind of wheat beer. I've, I used to brew tons of them, and uh, people just don't appreciate them. I, my, my big story with wheat beer was I used to go to Blue Rice Brewing Company, and I would love their wheat beer. And I kept brewing it and brewing it and brewing it and adding more and more and more and more wheat, and I couldn't get it to taste right. And I went to Dave Beer Studios, the brewer, and I'm like, what is your recipe? And he goes, oh, I'll put Munich malt in it, which makes it taste bready. And I'm like, damn it. <laughs> I just kept putting more wheat in it. But um, yeah, I, I love a, a good wheat beer. But I drink all styles of beer because I'm a beer judge too, so I have to enjoy a lot of them. Not a bad job to have. No. All right, so we'll kind of get into the, the hard hitting questions of the women in beer panel. Um, so obviously you guys work in the industry and a lot of you have worked in it for many years, a lot more years than I have. So my first question is, you know, everyone kind of has a story of how they got into beer, whether it was a beer, a person, experience. What is your story? And then also, why do you continue to work in beer? Like what keeps you waking up every day, you know, to, to brew a beer or to organize kegs or to, you know, uh, run the Grail House? So, you know, first question is what got you into beer? And then second, why do you continue to work it in this industry? Because I guess what I'm saying is like a lot, you see a lot of people who like work in it for about, you know, 10 to 15 years, they get burnt out and they leave. So what continues <laughs> to drive you every day? Yep, keep in your um, <laughs> I guess I have a silly story of how I got into beer. So I uh, worked in physical therapy for quite some time, about five years, like right out of college. And one day I just was decided that healthcare is really hard and really tough and props to everybody that does it. But it was just burning me out. It was a little bit too tough. I, um, and I frequented, unfortunately, and fortunately, um, the beer shop in Lexington, Kentucky, which 
Lori and I were talking about was reminded me a lot of the beer store, and they found out that I quit my job randomly with no plan at all because no one makes plans when they quit their jobs. <laughs> uh, so they offered me a job, and I was like, yeah, cool, I'll do that for like three months. Um, and I started working there and worked with Kevin Patterson. I don't know if anyone's familiar, but he was awesome. I think the first. He's awesome. Yeah. National beer judge. Yeah, I think he was the first Cicerone in the state of Kentucky, maybe. Um, maybe. But he just like taught me a lot. I mean, he like talked at me for months, and I just like soaked it in, and I just really like fell in love with beer and the process and the science and the sociability of it all and realized that it's like an educational thing instead of just like, I'm gonna get hammered. Like it just really like made me fall in love with the process. Um, and so I stuck around and I did that for a while. Um, I was a beer rep for a small amount of time and also props to everybody because I was awful at it. <laughs> Good on you, Liz and everyone. I was just, just not my thing and I just didn't know what I was doing, but like the love of beer I had I almost jumped ship at that point and then got involved with West Six and really loved like the brewing process. So with the beer chap, I learned a lot about beers like all over the world. And with repping, I learned a little bit, not so well, of selling and doing things like that. But then in West Six, I learned the brewing process. So I kind of learned it in steps on accident, honestly, like exercise science and selling beers, literally the opposite thing that I should be doing at all. Um, but sorry. I stuck around because I basically told the company that I wanted to do more than just, you know, pour a beer. I wanted to be more involved in the community and the company. And obviously, you all are here, and I'm very um, thankful for that. And yes, I'm sticking around because moving from Lexington to Louisville to open this space after being there for six and a half years has been like a huge accomplishment personally. But it's, it's, I think everybody here and everybody in this panel and essentially has like made it continue to make me want to go to work every day. So. My entry to beer is a little bit of a love story. Ooh. Um, so I started working at Cumberland Brews when I was in college. And I did learn a little bit about beer there. We really just got drunk a lot. Um, I also went to the Great American Beer Festival for the first time, uh, which was enlightening. Um, but I still didn't learn very much there. I would say it's really when I met Tyler, my now life and business partner. Um, he was touring as a sound engineer and being exposed to uh, Belgian beer culture and coming home very excited. Like every time he went on a tour, he'd bring home cases of beer and we would invite all these people over to taste. And it was just kind of crazy. Uh, like it just took over our lives. We were infatuated. And uh, I think we've come to know these people today, but at this point in time, I'd say in like 2006 or seven, no one was like geeking out about beer the way we were. Um, I would say there's maybe some, but not on the level like that. Right, we've got people like chasing whales or whatever now. That kind of terminology was not present yet. So Tyler wanted to open Louisville Beer Store. I was working as a, I just finished my master's degree as a curatorial, uh, uh, curatorial uh, and exhibition director. That's what I was working as at the time, full time. 
helping Tyler open the beer store and eventually quit my job and just went 100% into beer. And I've never looked back. So uh, at Beer Store, I really dove into the education of, of beer, its history, you know, the, the styles, the people behind it, and everything around the world, and just really got into it. And I would say what's kept me in it is the same thing, the education. I definitely have gotten to be uh, jaded and bored with the beer world. And mainly because it's become so successful, craft beer in America. Um, we were being inundated with, get this beer, get that beer. Literally every week there's a hundred new beers to try. And eventually you're like, what, what is going on? Like, what are, we can't carry every single beer that every single distributor in the state is doing. And it got to be kind of this like meaningless thing, right? But recently, during the uh, pandemic, I turned to the Cicerone program, and I started studying for it. And that has been what's reignited my passion. So you wanna, do you want to explain what the Cicerone program is? The Cicerone program is the sommelier version uh, of wine. So you, if you're a sommelier, you're an expert in wine, and Cicerone has a similar program for beer. Um, I am just going right now trying to complete the first, the second level, I should say. But it's been a really nice uh, process for me to become re-engaged with the education and all the information behind beer. And it's helped me find my way back to why we started doing this to, to begin with. And I hope that when Holy Grail opens, um, my passion will also be um, accepted by the community. And uh, it's a really exciting time for me. I'm, I'm, I would say I'm probably more excited about beer than I've ever been. Um, so that's it, we'll see. Hopefully I can keep it going. <laughs> um, so uh, I first got into beer um, when I was in college in Vermont. Um, I basically had a friend who, uh, his uh, best friend from childhood, uh, his dad had been a cultural anthropologist who studied the origins of beer and had taught them all how to homebrew when they were like, I don't know, 17. Um, and uh, there was one brew pub in Brattleboro, Vermont that we would drive down and like get bottles from. And uh, it, I also, the store in town had Unibrew. Um, and I'd never had beer like that ever before in my life. Like we were drinking, you know, the 30 rack of Natty Ice and then all of a sudden there was this and I was just like, what? Like beer can be this? And then when I realized that I can make this for 50 bucks for a five gallon keg, like are you kidding me? And uh, we started a homebrew club because I went to such a small liberal arts school. The school funded us and we made the beer. <laughs> on site, all being underage, they didn't even ask any questions. <laughs> the second year, they definitely were like, wait a second, are all of you 21? And we're like, yes, we are now. Um, but uh, I really liked it, and I was in school for art, and uh, I feel like I'm, okay, better? Okay. Um, we're all in school for art, and I really liked making beer. I really liked the creative process of it. I really liked um, that it was something that, like, compared to all the art I was making, I could share with my friends, and people actually liked it, and I didn't have to explain it. Um, that was 
super cool. Um, and so when I graduated, I moved to New York to try to get into, you know, publishing or art curation or something like that. And the first very hard lesson that I learned is that those people were not my people and I was constantly worried that they were going to find out who I really was. Um, that art was so subjective in a way that now that I've been in the beer world for 15 years I realize that beer is also very subjective but it seemed way more objective than art at the time and I also just couldn't sit at a desk I just couldn't do it um, and so I lived there for two years and I was just like crawling out of my skin to get out of those circumstances I was working as an office manager and bookkeeper which are skills that serve me very well to this day don't regret that part but um, decided to move to Portland, Oregon to basically go like panhandle for a brewing job um, in 20, oh, 2007, it's not even the 20s. Um, <laughs> and uh, it was just the place that had the most breweries uh, per capita in the country. I didn't know a soul there. Everybody that I knew and my family were like, you're a crazy person. Just okay, uproot, go to the West Coast. You don't know anybody, you'll be back and yeah, your life will be in ruins. Uh, turned out that I just, you know, didn't give up. I went, I think it was the 23rd place I approached that actually hired me on as a server. And very quickly I became the office manager and bookkeeper there. And uh, through strong arming, basically threatening to quit, they finally gave me a job in the brewery after two years. And um, I, I love brewing, I love the physicality of it. I love being able to make something with my hands and share it with people and have them enjoy it, even if maybe it's not their favorite thing or they're lying in my face. Most people seem to like it. Um, and I feel like that's something that keeps me coming back to it day after day. Uh, now, as the owner and operator and wearing all eight of the hats that are to be worn in that position of uh, opening up a new brewery and tap room, um, I don't get to brew very much. But um, being able to like talk about beer with people and share it with them and taste it with them and, and being excited about like the next thing that's coming on and like so stoked to like share that enthusiasm with other people, um, I feel like is very much what Lori's talking about where it's just like delving into it and really like sharing your passion for it and like a deeper understanding is definitely what brings me back to it over and over again despite the fact that obviously there's a lot of hard stuff involved as well which we have those as well on the brewing end uh, but all of it is worthwhile in the end because like people are just great to share a beer with if they also like it and also sharing a beer with somebody who didn't think that they liked something and then you're presenting them with like the first one of that kind that they've ever liked before and you're like yes i did it <laughs> like it's a great feeling awesome. <laughs> I didn't work as hard as I did. <laughs> no, no, I was, a, I, was, I was a bartender at the Kentucky Center for the Arts, and my bar manager said, hey, I made this beer at my house, and I brought the book, and I think you would like to do it. And I'm like, okay, I'll buy this book, The Complete Joy of Homebrewing. I'm like, I'll try this. And I'm like, this would be great. I can do this with my dad, and we can bond over this. So I would got the book and I'd go to my parents' house so I could try to bond with my dad and, and then we would, you know, make the beer and and then I would take it to all the parties because I didn't want to drink it at home and it was not really great, but um, I, I was the one that showed up with the five gallon purse to every party. 
And then, um, and then I, I was going to Bluegrass Brewing Company open, and I'm going there, and, and the, the, they, they said, oh, there's this homebrew club, you should join, and I go, and at the first meeting, there's, there are two women there, one's handing out cigars, and one's handing out pickles. And I'm like, what kind of group, and beer is everywhere. And I'm like, what kind of people are these? <laughs> I said, I think I kind of like them. Conrad was there, who, who wrote the, the, the history of brewing and, and, and Louisville Beer Book. And I'm like, well, I'm going to keep going back. So I'm like, I'm going to keep trying this hobby. You know, and I kept trying and trying. And then it was like, you know, I really need to get serious about this. And I'm like, so I, I bought another book, and I'm... And, I got lucky on how I was brewing at my parents' house that the temperature was great for fermenting beer and I was doing everything right by luck. I didn't know what I was doing. And then I went like best in show at the Kentucky State Fair. And I'm like, this is nice. This is kind of cool. Maybe I really need to study. So then I started making more beer and I started winning a lot of awards. And I'm, I'm working at, currently I was working as a graphic designer. You know, so. You know, I, I would plan out my whole brewery year, and like, and then I kept winning awards, and then, you know, the people in Lexington are like, please don't come back. Because, well, because one, one time I had five beers in the best of show out of the 20 beers or something, I had five of them, because I'd won almost everything that I had entered. And they're just like, we don't want you to come anymore. No, they didn't say that. They were very nice, they were very nice. Um, so anyway, I'm like, well, you know, I really, then the head of the, beer judge certification program says, you know, you really need to study to be a beer judge. And I'm like, that's a lot of work. You got to memorize. The, the, anyway, there's, you know, there's 80 different substyles at this point. You got to, you know, you got to know where they start with alcohol, where they end, what they taste like, where they're from, and blah, 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 and, and memorize all the recipes. I'm like, oh, that's too much work. Well, I did it. <laughs> and then I kept studying, and then I've worked my way up to be a, a national beer judge. And then my other friend said, well, you've got to study for cider and mead. So I've done that and taken the exams. But um, so I'm working at my graphic design job and I'm entering competitions and, you know, I'm sending them across. I'm just entering across the country, you know, because I wanted to enter the, the pepper beer competition. So I've, I would enter my green chili wheat, which I've got on tap now. And, you know, and then I, there was a women's all women's beer competition, queen of beer. So I would send beer out there. Uh, it, you know, that's all I was doing, and then I'm like, you know, I'm like the youngest person at this company, and I'm going to have to get a job, a real job. And I'm like, well, I'm going to learn about beer, and I want to study beer. And luckily, Blue Grace Brewing Company, Jerry Nagy, gave me a job washing kegs <laughs> and cleaning the floor and cleaning the brewery. And I tell you what, when you work with three boys, they had a really dirty brewery, but I made it really clean. <laughs> I made it very, very clean. And so I washed kegs and did all that. And then, and then it was like, I did that for almost a year. And then it was like, and they were teaching me all this great stuff. No, I had nothing, just, nothing but good things to say about the guys that are against the grain. They're wonderful. And uh, I was like, I still need a real job because I'm still doing my graphic design job and I know that they're all going to retire before me because they're all at least 10 years old. What am I going to do? And I'm like, well, I need to order. I'd like to open a brewery. So I had two of the guys in the Humber Club. So we went out to San Diego for the National Humber Conference. And 
And I'm like, you know, all these people started, and they were really small. You know, they started with a three-barrel system. I'm like, yeah, well, we, let's do it. So we came home, and we started a brewery, <laughs> you know, and we, we're still about the, we're a little bigger than we were. <laughs> um, but, you know, I'm, I'm doing everything right now. It, it, it's like Amelia, like I wear a million hats. I do have wonderful health, thank you, Lord. <laughs> Um, but it's uh, it's uh, working for two brewery cats is hard. I tell you, <laughs> but they're great for marketing. Um, but I what gets me to work every day. I just I making beer is my zen. I was Laura and I Laura make beer today, and we talked about it. And I said, you know, you, you're in the moment constantly because you're always paying attention to the next step and what you need to make. And I'll start the day in the morning, I'll finish in the, in the late afternoon or evening, and I'm like, where did my day go? I, and I'm calm, and I feel really good. And then it's like, what am I going to make next? <laughs> and that's what keeps me going. So there was a reason for this question, because one of the things that I like to preach as a woman in beer, or just someone who works in beer, is that Anyone can get into beer at any time. You don't have to, you know, have a, a degree in biology, engineering, whatever. You can be someone who worked, just got a part-time job at a, a beer shop. You can be someone who just applied to 28 breweries and finally they gave you a server job. It's just, it's honestly just a grind and a passion for beer. And if you have that, you can work in beer. And that's just one of the things I always like to ask people is how they got into beer. So other people can also be like, well, if they did it that way, I can do it that way. So thank you all for sharing your stories on, on that. And hopefully you all um, learned something about each one of them that you didn't know before. They all want to be women now and <laughs> <laughs> get beer. Um, so I think we would be super, we would be remiss if we didn't um, talk about some of the Stuff that's come out um, recently in beer. Um, in May, um, a brewer, a female brewer up at Notch Brewing in Salem, Massachusetts, asked one simple question on her Instagram about whether or not if you've experienced, um, you know, if you were a woman, if you were a victim of like sexual assault, harassment, sexism, homophobia, racist remarks while working in the beer industry, and it's kind of turned into this. Uh, reckoning in the craft beer industry, and um, I'm, I would assume 90, if not more, of you have a part of this. And it's as a as someone as a female in beer, it's definitely something I know I have thought a lot about, and I'm sure these women who are managers and owners of other people have thought about. So we're going to talk about it. It's, it might get a little uncomfortable, but let's get uncomfortable as much as we want to. Um, so my first question is: When you guys heard about all the things that came out? from uh, Brian Allen and, you know, firings of big names in beer. What was your guys' reaction? We'll start with you, Caitlin. Let's we'll go down the line oh, again. I have to go first. We're going down the All line. Right. Cool. <laughs> I'm going to need another beer. For uh, sure. Do you want um, me to go first? Yeah. Uh, Amelia, you can oh, go first. Only if you want to. I'm, if you want a moment, I, I'll... Okay. Um, I was surprised that it hadn't happened sooner, to for be sure, honest. For sure. I feel like that's the way that a lot of us in the industry felt, is that, you know, with the Me Too movement and the way that things went, what, it was, it's been four or five years since that really broached and uh, being the boys world industry that we all work in, uh, I was pretty shocked that it didn't crest sooner. Yeah, I, for me it was, I mean, 
I'm going to answer this question as well. It, for me, it was surprised that it just took one person on Instagram to ask. That you kind of had to have an anonymous voice behind it because you were afraid or they were afraid of losing their jobs. And, you know, when all this happened, there's so many pig names of beer that got fired or let go. And it's like, it took someone anonymously, anonymously answering an Instagram post for all this to happen. Like, I, I mean, I, I'm still like, I still think about now and my, my blood is boiling, my blood pressure is rising. But, um, yeah, well, I guess we'll have you kids keep answering what your reactions were to it yeah i mean i think it's been like forever like amelia said like it's a long time coming it's surprised that it didn't come out sooner and it probably should have come out sooner and like we honestly like all of my crew big love like unfortunately deal with it almost every day which sucks so hard because the beer community as everyone here is like so nice and so great but it is like it's a thing that just it happens and um we do not tolerate it at all and i don't think that a lot of places do but it, it it happens and it's it's something that like it beats you down like you know if you're an accountant and you get yelled out for doing your numbers wrong every day that sucks if you're pouring beer and someone's harassing you every day that sucks like that's not something that we want to do or want to continue doing whether you're a man or a woman honestly like i've absolutely had men and women harassed in the same exact way but it's that you know bringing light to that when that happened was was hard and long overdue for sure so and and since each of you kind of are in a role what have you guys done as a business owner as a manager um to kind of since this has all happened or maybe you even did it before you know to make your work environment a safe space for everyone have you guys implemented any new rules requirements um or has it always been in place for you all i i don't really i, I really so one i did actually i did not read the threads the, there was a lot um i did ask my my partner and i was curious what did you take away from it i just didn't feel like it was a, a good use of my time because it's something that i had experienced for so long um and, and I would say in a sort of in a minor level, like uh, my personal experience had just been being offended over and over and over again and overlooked. Um, and not just myself, but my, my, my team. Um, in, in reflecting sort of on the secondhand information that I received and also just my personal experience, I, it didn't really bring any pause to the situation. Uh, like that we needed to change anything. Um, I am, I'm, I don't know if this is, uh, we've had very strong female leadership within our company and our most brilliant minds about beer have been women. But yes, we all have collectively been degraded, uh, whether that's from the supplier, the producer or the customer, but never from within our own company. My partner and our, our male counterparts in our company in leadership roles have been nothing but supportive the entire, you know, from the beginning. There's been no need to sort of address any bad behavior. Um, I understand probably in a retail environment that might be different than some other experiences in other tiers. Um, but, but, but personally, like, I don't really have any control over the way the customer comes in and demeans 
you know, again, a female behind the bar, which is funny because the, the typical sort of interaction is like, well, honey, let him tell me about this beer or, you know, whatever. <laughs> but you're just like, oh, what an idiot, you know, like, okay, fine. Let the new guy tell you about something he knows nothing about. Fine. Um, but also the supplier. And I will say this, this is probably the only action that I've taken. Um, I have decided to only do business with suppliers and distributors that align with our values and we are no longer carrying beers from anyone that we feel like is not treating their own employees within their company or their customer base with respect um no more and it doesn't matter how how good their beer is or what sale or whatever you're done treat everyone with respect we're not supporting you if you don't and that's kind of, that's really been the only real impact, I would say beyond that, how we could change, is trying to cultivate more interest in beer with women. And I've been giving a lot of thought to that. Like, how do we do that and how does that start? And it starts with a group like this and a conversation like this um, and creating a community of women interested in, in beer. So. Uh, the only way I know how to do that is to continue to educate myself and to continue to inspire women around me and continue to accept and, and grow the, you know, the, the women in my community around me and welcome them in and to, to continue these dialogues. So um, I think there is a lot of work to do even like with, within our own company. Um, in that regard, like how do we recruit and hire and create opportunities for women? Um, it would be, you know, I know this is, it would be a dream for me, you know, for everyone to walk in and it for it to be all women behind the bar <laughs> and them all have, you know, Cicerone level or BJCP knowledge, that level of knowledge. I mean, how amazing would that feel, right? Because it's unexpected. No one expects the women behind the bar to know anything about beer, and it's crazy to me. I mean, I even I can't go anywhere and order a beer without being explained <laughs> what it is, which normally is amusing. Or, or, or they say, oh, we have this fruit beer, this cider on. Well, I'll, the best I'll leave, is when you made it. My last experience, I was in Chicago buying beer recently. Ma'am, can I help you? Lovely store, uh, but they come up, what can we help you And I was looking at some lambic. Oh, that's what you're looking at is called goose, and it's just like this beer next to it called goes. And I was like, oh, really? Explain that to me. So I'll leave it at that. But that that's the kind of everyday experience we have, and you learn to just go with it, and it's okay. But it doesn't mean it, it, it's really not okay. You have to you have to sort of let it roll off your shoulder and move on, I don't know what you do with that, but you do learn to live with it, and maybe you can speak into that. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that that's a lot of what we're, what the whole, uh, I mean, I think we're all just attuned to the fact that we're calling it like the rat, rat magnet scenario um, has brought to the forefront, which is all of us who have been in this industry for 10 plus years, um, Basically, you just had to grow the thick skin and muscle under and take it and just like because you you were in the, the unique position of creating an environment where that was not allowed to stand. And I know um, we've talked about like people like Lucy Brown, who's just like, 
nah, you know, like that was the whole mentality is just like, you're in this place where we clearly have a very distinguished beer list. If you were looking at somebody behind the bar, you should be <laughs> smart enough to understand that that person knows what the fuck they're talking about in regards to what's on tap. And if that person has to have a pair of tits, then they are also still as knowledgeable as the bus boy. So don't turn to the bus boy and ask the bus boy a question because you asked. But it's really funny to hear the bus boy talk about goose. Exactly. Um, and so being able to create that environment, um, it's a very unique experience. And I think that that's something that like um, the three of us are, are, are also creating. And I, I'm sure the same thing with uh, opening apocalypse, like having the mentality of like, when you come into this space, you should understand that we know what we're talking about and it shouldn't matter our gender behind the bar for us to know what we're talking about because we care about the product that we're producing. Um, and I did not always work in places like that. Uh, I have worked in uh, a couple different breweries and um, there were different environments in both places where it was very clear that people could not always uh, demand that kind of respect. Um, the first place I worked, I remember very specifically, I got scolded by the general manager when I was the assistant general manager for uh, buying someone's tab out completely because they sexually harassed a cocktail server. And um, I said, uh, thank you, you are done tonight. Your meal is on me, but I need you to take it to go because you're not welcome here anymore because you made this person feel incredibly threatened and you touched them inappropriately. And I told them, they said, uh, I'm gonna tell my friends about this. And I said, if they were like you, then you should tell them to not come here as well. But I also, no, I, I, got, I got reprimanded pretty severely from the general manager who said that is not the way you deal with that scenario. And I was like, by making my staff feel safe and supported, how is that not the way I deal with that scenario? Because I don't want that customer to come back and think that he can touch people inappropriately and that all of his friends can come here and paw at our servers and that they're just gonna laugh and know that they're gonna get a good tip at the end of the night and then worry when they walk to their car that something else might happen to them. And he was just like, that's just not the way we do it. Um, and I feel like that's pretty often the case, you know, like everybody has gotten that to some degree or worse. Um, and we all have been pretty much like discounted. I think that I also like being a six foot three, 220 pound woman for most, well, all of my beer career, um, I didn't have to like suffer it the way that other people did. Um, but I definitely saw it in my paychecks. And like, those are the kinds of things that like we should talk about because if we're not talking about them, then it's going to continue to happen. And we can't all just be building that space. Like we're all doing a good job and trying to build that space for people, but like there's only a few of us. <laughs> so if we don't bring it up and constantly talk about it, then it's not gonna change. Um, and I feel like the way that I'm personally trying to do that is, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty upfront about like everybody on my staff. If anybody ever feels like anyone says anything that is threatening to them, like very specifically, I'm not talking about just like getting your feelings hurt. Someone's like, you're a jerk, whatever. But if like you are using threatening language or physically like interacting with somebody like, no, you're done. You're done. Kindly, sir see your way to the door, you know? And um, 
my the way I also specifically trying to integrate that into our practices is like my head brewer is a woman she's a mom um, I kind of I don't know in an uncomfortable way embodied a lot of like uh, who could do the job of brewer when I finally got to be a brewer because I had to prove myself so hard even though I am a person of stature and like wait I was bigger than most everybody else in the brew house and still dudes would take work out of my hands and I totally had women come and be like what do I need to do to like get a job in a brewery and I was like I don't know lift weights like <laughs> it was not a cool thing for me to have done at the time um, and once I kind of got my head on my shoulders, right, um, I just started hiring people who were passionate about beer. And uh, I got told, like, well, there's people in the kitchen who are obviously better suited for that job. And I was just like, do they know as much about beer as this woman? And they're like, no, but she's like 120 and 5'2". And that dude's like six foot 200, like obviously is better suited. And I'm like, she's not, not able to do that job until she shows she's not able to do that job. She has the head for it better than that dude ever will. I can't teach that dude to know anything about beer. He can lift kegs and he can move grain cans and he can do all of that, but if he can't like follow directions and know beer styles, I can't teach him that. She's already got it. And so until she can't do that, then she's got the job. And my current uh, head brewer is, I want to say Sue's 5'3". She's, she's, a, she's a short woman, but like, to be honest, at this point, she's got more passion for it and hasn't been lifting kegs as long as me. And I watch her throw stuff around and I'm like, oh, thanks sweet Jesus, I don't have to do that <laughs> So I, I think that like building the environment where it's just like, you just set the standard that those things aren't tolerated. Like, and I feel like you obviously have had that ability from almost day one. And I think that all of us have been working towards that. I think you, you two more, I don't know. We've just been around for a while. <laughs> I'll always say also props to you because I, like, when I lived in Lexington, I, like, Amelia is, like, you're amazing. But you, like, had a full woman staff, I think, when I first met you. And that's, there was a point, like, pretty yeah. crazy. And it's not crazy, though, like... It shouldn't be crazy. That's amazing that you did that and you pushed for it. And it wasn't so. even pushed for. It was always just the person, the best person for the job. And that's always the way I felt about it. The best person for the job comes in whatever package they come in. That's the person who gets the job. I mean, I feel like that's right. That's what we should yeah. all be doing. You all talked about, um, you know, how how do we get a staff of all females behind the bar or people who don't, you know, who aren't males with beards. So it. <laughs> I know we go back to that, but one of the things I like to ask people, or like if I'm doing an interview, is like, what can, like, how do we get people to be behind the bar in the brewery? You know, we're, we're four white women up here right now. Like, how do we get people who don't even look like us to be working behind, pouring beer, working in the brewery? You know, is there something that breweries can do to reach a, you know, a more of a minority, you know, audience or, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, my questions have just like been like thrown out the window at this point, but <laughs> no, you know, we're, we, we're all in positions where we hire staff. So what is there something you guys have done recently to be like, okay, we're going to get people in here that don't look like us that aren't a typical craft beer drinker. And this is how we did it. Because I think that's the biggest issue I hear from brewers is, or people who have of, of hiring powers. Like, 
the people, all the people who apply are white people. And I'm like, well, clearly you're not, wherever you're putting your job posting is, you know, you're, you're, you're only reaching a certain audience. So how can we reach more of a grander audience of people who are interested in beer? I think a lot of it has to do with marketing, yes. where your product is, where your tap room is, how you present yourself, whether representation is seen in your marketing. I mean, people are not going to think that you're a place where they're welcome until they see themselves there. I think that that's the way, like, we as women and all of these women who enjoy beer 10, 15, 20 years ago wouldn't have felt like this was a space for them until they saw women in beer. I mean, and I think that it's our obligation to be quite frank as white women who are now coming to a position of power in beer to open the door behind us and be like, hey, if you're queer, if you're like, you know, a person of color, if you're anybody who felt as ostracized out of the scene as we have, like, you come with us and try to make as much room as we possibly can. And I think, Laura, you were at you were at forefront. I remember us doing a women in beer talk in the back of the beer store. Remember, you you had you put that on. That was God, that was a million years ago. <laughs> there was only one or two dinosaurs running around. But uh, I, I remember, go, I can't remember what group put it on, but I, I spoke and you were there because yeah. it was at the back of the beer store. We, we did and, a lot of women's beer programming, for sure. Yeah, yeah, trying to get more women engaged because people think, well, well women don't drink beer. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's, it was crazy. Like, I would, my favorite story is I, I entered... So it's, it's the largest homebrew competition by volume in the whole country. And this is a million years ago. And I showed up, and I was entering my five, everybody had to do a five gallon keg. So I show up with my five gallon keg, and they're like, well, you must be Leah. And I'm like, well, how do you know my name? I've never been here. And they're like, well, you're the only woman who entered. I mean, that's some crazy, crazy stuff. And that was a long time ago, and but it's still happening now. I mean, like I go out to Great American Beer Fest, and I look at the the manifest of all the judges that are there. Not even twenty percent are women, and and they're pulling not just brewers, but writers and brewery owners and people that work in the industry, and still hardly any women are part of it. And I don't know if you all know, but women have better palates than men. <laughs> I, didn't, I mean, that's a that, that is a proven fact. So I'm like, where are the women? I know, but even fewer people who are out as gay, um, of color in any way, trans, like that's the whole thing is that like, there's very few women and we're just now like making that headway. Yeah. But like, yeah, I don't know. I, I think- Times are changing. I think like, you know, uh, this is a, a bit of a cop out, but, um, I, I am looking, like I wish Brittany was here tonight from New Belgium. New Belgium has some really great diversity and inclusion efforts and there are really big breweries, craft breweries like New Belgium um, that, that are trying to, I think, help us solve this problem of inclusion, diversity and inclusion. It is very real. Um, craft beer is very whitewashed. And yes, females are just now sort of trying, you know, have a platform um, to speak from. That's a new thing. Um, and, you know, I, I don't, I, I, I've recently been thinking, like, I can't just wait for them to figure this out. And it trickled down to me, this small business person, right? So what do we do? 
And one thing like during the pandemic, I um, enrolled in a lot of these panel discussions through an organization called FAB, which is amazing. Anyone in here who's a woman entrepreneur, I highly recommend in food and beverage, check them out. They're based in Charleston. But they held um, uh, a particular group that was in human resources. It was an HR group and there were several people that we got to um, learn from. And a lot of diversion, diversity and inclusion conversation within that and specialists. And it really, everything we talked about kept going back to marketing. So, and I want to, I think that's really the most important thing is that it made me realize like we don't market <laughs> um, at all. We kind of are in this little bubble world, right? And we're very lucky and fortunate. That's a very privileged space to exist within. It's not that we don't market because we're privileged, it's because you know, we don't have a lot of money and we'd rather pay our employees than put it into a big marketing budget. But now we're starting to say, okay, well, wait a minute. There's value to spending money in marketing so that we can not necessarily expand our customer base to uh, new audiences, but also just so that they feel included. Like it's not about necessarily making more money. It's, it's about making people feel part of our little community. And if we keep thinking that everyone's just gonna find us by word of mouth, that's great. But it doesn't do anything to change the scenario. If it's only one community talking about you, then you're only ever going to reach right. one community. That was a big aha moment for me recently. And I still don't know how to find the funds, right? Because we still operate on such a tight margin. We still need to pay everyone more. I mean, hell, I have not had a paycheck since March pre-pandemic. And I've worked my ass off more than I have in the past 10 years. But it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, this seems important. And it's like, okay, well, how do we pay for that? And where and how do we do it? And who I've can got help an idea. Us? I've got an idea. So I'm going to do it. <laughs> at, at, well, are you gonna, I, I, am, I am the chair of our, gonna, new, our new committee that Leah, you, Kinsey is you on. You beat me our, to it. I was waiting to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, our, our equity and inclusion committee oh. um, with the Kentucky Brewers, uh, uh, our Kentucky Brewer Group. And we just started, we just got together last month. And, um, a lot of the, Kinsey is on the committee, I'm on the committee, um, it's small right now, anyone is welcome, but where I feel that if Kentucky breweries, if we start in our own houses, let's start at home, let's show people how we do it in our own companies, in our own breweries, and then, and then we're going to expand out outward from there because then we can extend to our customer base and not just to our customer base when we go to beer festivals and then and then have a code of conduct to show this is how we in Kentucky do it and we want to include everyone because beer brings people together and we feel that's important there's a million beer styles and there's a million types of people out there and we want to bring everything together and, and include everybody because in, in the end, you know, we just want to sell more beer and, and enjoy it. Yeah, so, so, you know, with everything that has happened from, you know, um, you know, Black Lives Matter to the Me Too movement here in craft beer, it just kind of lit a fire under, essentially under, under me and I know a bunch of these women and other women and, you know, it's like, what, 
what can we do? And you know, I saw a lot of other guilds had a DE&I subcommittee, part of their, their guild. Um, so I was like, let's, why don't we have one here in Kentucky? You know, I'm sure you all are aware, you know, sitting here and these women up here, you look around the beer industry here in Kentucky and it's very white and that's an issue. It shouldn't be that way. And so we, as a subcommittee are going to work on fixing that to make it more obviously inclusive. And that's the goal. Um, you know, but not just white. I mean, it's also very cis, and I think that that's yes. another thing that people don't talk about is that like, I'm a queer person. I know so many people who are queer in the brewing community who just don't talk about it because it's kind of a thing that you're not supposed to. Right. And I think that that is the other aspect of it. Is it's it's like the 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 roundhouse of like it's easy to get behind women, but everyone else who's not represented in our clientele, like it's just like everyone else, come on. And the more we talk about it, the more everybody gets behind all of it. So yeah. So yeah, we'll, you'll see a lot of the DE&I subcommittee where we got some big things coming up. We got lots of ideas, lots of plans. So um, we're hoping to really make a, obviously a difference in, in the beer industry. And you know, like, like Leah said, it starts at home. It starts within us. And I think, I think you, have to, you have to start, we have to start somewhere. And I think if, if we are the brewing community and we are the face, you know, we, we need to start in our own house and then we can move from there because our customers are, are looking to us. And I'm hoping that they will follow our lead. You know, they enjoy our beer. Why not and, follow our beliefs? And I will say one thing. You know, on our first first conversation, we were we or our first Zoom call, we were having conversations like, what's like small things we can do? We can ask somebody their pronouns. Like, just starting small to make somebody feel more inclusive and, or more in, higher, inclusive. That's the right word, yes, right? Yes. Sorry, <laughs> had a few beers, <laughs> taste beverages, yeah. or it's good. But making you know just. Starting that conversation, like, or teaching breweries what that means, I'm sure. I mean, let's be honest, there's probably lots of breweries in the state that don't know what that means, to ask somebody what their pronouns is. So starting at that level can just make just the smallest difference and just continuing to grow upon that. And we had like a 30 minute conversation about pronouns and I'm like, I love this because like, <laughs> this is this is a great start. Like this is a start we need. And you know, Leah's been around since 2012 and I'm, I'm I mean, in 2012, this wasn't something she's thinking about, but now it is, and that's important to think about. You have to change. Beer has to change as culture changes, and we haven't done that. And so, thankfully, there's people who are, who are, you know, lighting that fire to make this change. And um, and our customer base has changed. I mean, I have customers do not don't don't they are they, you know. And so, I mean, I, I respect that because I like them to be, keep being my customers. <laughs> So I, I would totally respect anything that somebody wants. Why not? You know, it's easy. It's easy to be nice to people, you know? I mean, I feel like that's the whole thing, though, is that beer is supposed to be egalitarian. Wine and spirits can be very exclusive, can be very cost prohibitive. Beer is supposed to be something that is for everyone. And if it is something that's for everyone, then we have to make space for everyone. Unless it's a $10 fruited sour that explodes in your closet. Oh, explodes in your closet? Then something went wrong. Closet, I mean, I, I don't know, fridge, beer, beer closet. No this might be a little Get that thing out of the closet. We're also talking about this sort of echo chamber that that we exist in and this this goes beyond beer right this is a, a about sort of breaking walls down and inviting people into um, the things that excite us and our ideas um, and acknowledging that there are walls 
you know, and where, where are those walls and how do we break them down? That's, that's where we start. The echo chamber of craft beer is very real. It's not just in Louisville, but we can look at that. Like, who are the people that are part of that <laughs> insulate, insular community? Like, let's try to break out of that. And what do we need to do? Um, that's get for people the brewer, more that's... enthusiastic about actual beer and not just the bottle uh, purchases <laughs> online. <laughs> yeah. Great. Yeah, I mean, there's so many people that don't know that you exist, and you exist, and that I exist, and that's the thing, is that it's not, that, and that's what I was trying to distinguish, is that it's not about marketing with the goal of creating more revenue, it's that there is, there's almost a responsibility for us to market more widely, so that we are more inclusive. And that we can transform our industry from within, and without that, we won't be able to. Yeah, so I think we need to lead. We need to lead from ourselves. You know, from our tap rooms. Why not lead from our breweries and our tap rooms? I mean, not to be catchy, but it's got to be more heart, less hype, right? Yep. So I've been given the the I don't know. But we're going to open the floor to questions. Oh, questions. Jeez. Questions. Fun questions. That's going to be the hook. Right? The hook. Yeah, if we had a whole other two hours, I could talk about marketing, but we won't do that. So, questions. Oh, come we on. set it off. No. There you go. Right. You in the back of the way. Oh, is there a microphone for folks up, out there? We don't have a wireless mic, unfortunately. So Just yell and I'll repeat it. Or shout it. Doing First that. of all, great question. It's called low calorie beer. No, no. I'm not for it. No. But there, there are, there are a lot of men directing marketing towards women in beer. I think it's more about uh, ungendering ungendered products. Yes. Um, yes. Because yes. nothing that is not a mammal or animal has a gender. So yeah, I if think we like what makes bourbon male it tastes like what fucking vanilla. Here? How is that manly? It doesn't make any sense. Like are like, we be stupid here? Like red it's, it's beer. Amelia, it's the wood. So it's it's <laughs> Um, no, I think I think that the whole concept of alcohol being gendered one way or another, I think that we're all trying to break that down. But the reality is, is that like everyone should be able to drink whatever they want to. Their flavor, uh, the flavor spectrum shouldn't be limited to like if it's fruity, then it's lady. If it's smoky, then it's dude. Like that's all dumb, and I feel like that's what we should all be working towards is breaking down the concept that any kind of palate is gendered because everybody's body likes different things, and some of us have no gender, so 
thusly we should just be marketing a thing as a thing for people and not just as a thing for ladies and dudes. And that's my opinion. Apparently got real on my fucking soapbox about it. There's also a certain amount of education that needs to happen. I mean, the original beer makers of civilization were women. So, like, let's look at at what point did it become masculine and why? And let's Capitalization. When it, became, when it became a money-making entity, that's when it came out church. of the house <laughs> and came out of the community and it went into manufacturing and that's when it became a, a man's job. And the monasteries are and the ones that did that. If you want to learn more about this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plug somebody I know. There's an author named Tara Nuren. She just wrote a book, A Woman's Place in the Brew House. And it talks about how women... Uh, transition from being, you know, the traditional alewives to it being a male-dominated industry. So, you know, it's it, it, we're, we're coming upon Halloween. So, the witch kind of is inspired from a female brewer because they wore the the pointy hats behind the cauldrons when they stirred the beer, essentially, right? And then the mice were there to keep away cats. The cats were there to keep away. The, the, the mice from the grain. So witches essentially are just female brewers. So when you dress up for a witch this Halloween, when people ask who you are, say a female brewer. Ow! That's why I dress up as I a mean, witch every Halloween. We have like three of our biggest tap rooms are run by women. Like three of our tap room managers, three out of four are, are women. And I think that's like huge coming from like, we've only been open for nine and a half years. And it's like a, a bow to all of you that like you all opened all of these things. And I think I think it's surprising for people still, which is confusing to me why, like, if they ask for, like, the owner or the brewer or whatever, or the manager, and, like, you're like, oh, hey, here I am. They're, like, confused. It's, it's wild to me. But, That's, like, I yeah. think that it's really important and really substantial that that is a thing now. That's my favorite question to answer is they're like, oh, is there a manager around? I'm like... Yeah, it's, it's me, and I'm sure Leah gets it. I'm sure all three or four of you get that. They're like, oh, it's owner, brewer, uh, manager around, and y'all are like, I point to the cat. <laughs> Cats are saving I always get, is Tyler here? <laughs> I hope that we answered your question about flavors yes, of sorry. lady and man drinks. Are there any other questions? Yes. I mean, uh, any kind of uh, grants or loans for lady-owned businesses would be super tight. Well, they, they, used, they used to have that, like the enterprise zone way, way, way back in the, the 90s, like when I was working before Market Street became Market Street. So, make, Well, make code and permitting easier to navigate oh, such a for oh, yes. any young entrepreneur. Yeah. Anyone who is not coming into business with a lot of wealth or knowledge, it is an impossible process to navigate. And you are, I'll give, right now we're remodeling Holy Grail. Every single step of the way we are met with resistance, even though we're making a very old building way safer for the public. Do you know Sarah Bone? I do. Okay. <laughs> but... Uh, if you want people who are ambitious, young, and of diversity to have opportunity, get out of the way. Make this easier for us to do business. 
I will 100% fact that that if I did not have a uh, very wealthy, influential person uh, helping me on the path to my business ownership, um, I would be dead in the water right now. Uh, people who are actually just trying to get them things done themselves, which is few and far between, if you don't know somebody who knows somebody, it is in fucking possible. So yeah. Questions? Yes. Oh, yeah. Nick Landers. Please, sir. Nick. My experience with women in beer is that all women, like when they come into beer, they have to actually actively try to get in it. Seriously, everything I've ever Why don't we have like more of like women just having, I guess, beer fun times and like bringing more women into beer? Because I don't know, I'm a man, I don't know anything. But it's like, uh, <laughs> So do you need more women in beer? Yes. Let's have more women in beer events where we actually get beer with women. I think that's... Like, just like 10 seconds ago, he said, I just wonder what I can do on a day-to-day basis that I'll I think that's a fair question, but I also think that the Louisville Ale Trail guys did that today yeah. to get Louisville and beer up in here, which is very great. And, um, do like all women beer day. Well, we, okay. do, we do do well, that. Do we? It's called the. It's are, are you going to lead this, Dick? Are you? Are we going to all? Is it me? It? Am I going to do it? Are we going to Gordon Beer? Should beer with Amelia? Uh, I definitely don't want to do it at my brew house because. No. Uh, Leah? I don't have a brewery, so I'm out. I have a female cat. She'd be all about it. <laughs> <laughs> the male cat. He's always roaming. You said like kind of like the. Uh, we do that through Pink Boot Society, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I, I feel like um, you know, I used to do a lot of women-centric beer events, and they were great. Um, the thing that's really interesting is like on most days when I would come into Holy Grail, it would be seventy percent of beautiful women and I was taken back every day in my dining room and bar like holy moly this is predominantly all beautiful women in here and it made me so proud um like you don't walk into a beer bar anywhere in America and see that no it's all single dudes <laughs> yep and this is a this is um this might be met with some um a difference of opinion but I think part of it is how you approach beer Every, all genders deserve beautiful things and spaces right women I think maybe are a little more inclined to appreciate it I I think that it's, it's possible that it's, it's you know I don't know why I think that's all I'm always asking myself why are we blessed to have all these wonderful women as our patrons more than men usually. Um, it, it's a really good and satisfying feeling to walk in there. When you're typically used to walking into being the one of five women in a room of 80 or whatever it is in a brew pub is my point. I mean, do you not think it's because the staff has often been women? It, it could be a lot of things, but I think part of it is the attention to detail, the, the effort to educate, the effort to 
bring people in, like to actually really pay attention to the details that it's not just about like drinking a beer and getting drunk. And I'm not accusing anyone of that or any place of that, but that we're going a little bit further than that. That's kind of been my, maybe that's why is that we treat the beer with so much respect and the space with so much respect that maybe women are a little more inclined to appreciate it. I don't know. I'm, I don't, I have not read the books of women are from Venus and men are, you know, I don't know. But <laughs> it, there is, that's a very real thing that we see every day. And it, it, it is curious, like, why is that the case here, but not in all these other places, right? And so maybe, possibly the answer is that if you're, genuinely interested in educating and engaging people uh that in itself is more inclusive i don't know go and maybe you have a follow-up question i, I have a I, i've been writing about this for years kevin gibson everybody I've been, I've been working in the bourbon industry more and more and i have a part-time position selling bourbon to people and leading people to tastings and the cliche would be when a couple walks in the management had bourbon I wasn't going to have sweet wine, but every day I see it's, it's not that way. It's not, it's not a Friday or um, I have groups of women come in to take bourbon and they do flights and they ask questions. And, and so I guess my question is for, for whatever spirit it is, how would you like to see marketing change? Because we get bottles of beer and it's always named after a man. we got a George Patton beer. Or like a sexy you know, thing, sexualized woman, is what you're saying. I mean, I think, I, I think if I can answer this, it's, it goes back to marketing. You know, when you watch football on Sunday, there's no ads about female products during the commercials. It's who these high up people who are so out of touch with what tip you know today's viewers or, or drinkers I mean, i'm still thinking super bowl are like i mean i watch football on sundays i could care less about you know male baldness commercials or something <laughs> well i mean but that's the whole thing is that like there are so many products that aren't gendered even fucking balding products aren't gendered because there is female pattern baldness yes. like yeah. these, these the concept that there are that, that these things that are being sold have a gender association is the whole problem. Don't eat it. No, is a sandwich gender? If, if we just like, listen to the kids, if we let the kids, <laughs> right now, the, like if you talk to any teenager right now in our community, yeah, they don't. Gender's not a thing. No, it's like very fluid to them, and it's hard for for people my age and older to understand, wrap our heads around. Um, but it's the way the marketing really needs thing. It needs to follow suit with that, and that but is, it should be fluid. That is so is, much the thing. You like, don't need to target market things to gender anymore, right? There's no need for it because there's so much crossover. The product doesn't need to be marketed towards the gender of any specific shape and form. We need to make sure that all communities, women, all of us who identify the way we identify can see themselves represented and respected in, in the brand, but the product is not gendered. The product has never been gendered. That's a lie that was told to everybody when they were selling beer at a certain point and it became not a woman's product anymore. It was just a dude's thing. And women weren't even supposed to drink apparently. And then we were allowed to drink wine. 
and vodka and apparently seltzer. But like, none of the products are gendered. The brand needs to show gender representation. The product is universally brand and gender associated. Sorry. No, one question. The, the most part. mad I get is when someone asks me if I like to drink beer. And I literally just want to bite them right there. So none of you ask me that. But they do that because I'm a woman. I know. Yes. Julie. Madam. Okay, so I don't know if this is correct for to ask this question. However, with beer and with bourbon, obviously there's a stigma. It's a man's world. How do we break that moving forward other than marketing? Like, what can we do now to advance that? Is it educational? Is it promotions? Like, what do we, because obviously there's a lot of people, I mean, I love bourbon. It's parent effects. Whatever, you know, love beer. It's great. Is but that really even a thing in Kentucky? Yeah, like, I feel like women in Kentucky obviously love, love bourbon. It's and it doesn't like put your hair in your chest because you're a woman and it's not going to happen. But just generally, like, seriously, I don't know how to, like, other than, like, representation, which is what we're doing now, and marketing, I don't know Mark how we make market, it. Uh, marketing seems key to everything. Like, it, like, lives in our psyche. We... Even though we see it and we disagree with it and we acknowledge that it's not right, it still somehow is internalized because it's over and over again, right? Like there's something, and we do see, you have seen a shift in marketing recently, right? We all have. It's okay, maybe not enough, but it is a, quite a big, if we look at commercials five years ago, I'm sure it's a, probably a pretty- It's not Spuzz McKenzie and like ladies and- it, it's important. It is important. They though, watch our point. It's that it it does matter. I yes. don't and I don't I don't have an answer. Maybe I these things do, but I think no, like there's bigger brands out there that control the marketing with small Yeah. Brands. And you put you have to think who who's the top of the chain there. Yes. And so it's like how do we get minority representation at the top of those chains yes. to but it's it's such a hard fight that we're going to have to continue to, you know, punch and claw our way to, to like get people who, you know, don't look like us or, you know, who's not a, a male cis white dude at the top who's the CEO. You know, we got to have, you know, somebody my own minority who has a say in something and they're like, hey, let's not have this gray haired polo khaki wearing person on this bourbon commercial. Let's have a female and somebody else who, you know, it's. The thing with, you know, we're asking me, how do we do this? We just need to normalize. When you, you when you see a commercial, you shouldn't think twice that like, there's a female drinking bourbon or there's a, there's a man drinking wine or a female drinking beer. We just have to normalize it. The more we normalize it, the, the, more, the more you see it, the more we, you just normalize it internally. And, and, yeah. I, and I will say there is a solution. As a consumer, support brands that align with your values, even in their marketing. Like, that's how we change things. I'm, you know, no, will a will a beer company go out of business because I'm not buying them anymore? No, but at least I'm putting my dollars somewhere with people that are going to spread values that align with my own. And you, as a consumer, do have that power. That that's, you know, yeah. aside from the marketing piece, I think that's part of it. Is like, don't like, okay, I'm not. I'm sorry. I'm going to throw Campari under the bus, but. <laughs> Kapari didn't do anything wrong, but I'm going to give an example. This is not beer related, but I recently, you know, I'm not a cocktail person. We had Campari in a drink. There's a smaller company that makes a Campari-like product in Italy that I've been to and I've got a relationship with. And I thought, why the hell are we buying Campari? We should be buying from this other family-owned company. 
and so for me, I'm going through that process every time I'm buying something like do the people that were buying this, these things from align with us and is there a better option? And I think that if we do that as consumers, we will change the landscape, right? It, it does matter. So let them market the way they want, vote with your dollars. That's gonna be what changes the landscape. That's all they care about. Yeah, I would say do, do your research, you know, I, there's breweries I don't buy beer from. Uh, I won't mention them. <laughs> no, I mean, but, oh, no, man, but, let's go, Kinsey. Let's go. <laughs> no, but that's that's the reality. Is that just like, to, yeah? Do, you have to hold people accountable yeah. for their practices and their actions. And if you want people to change, then the only way that there is like the actual cultural shift is that people stop buying products from people that they know uh, underrepresent, underpay, um, have damaging and abusive practices and those people have to move like and you start shifting money towards people that you support that do have like you see that they are actually trying to support the things that um socially we should all be moving towards like you do have to vote with your dollars and as much as that sucks that is the only way for accountability to happen is that if you a talk about it and b shift your dollars to where you want people to move towards like when you see people actually doing the right things and you know these people are not doing the right things stop spending that money there and start spending it somewhere else and the reality is is that there's enough beer in the world now that like even if you don't get to buy that one thing that you always love somebody else is making something real close and they've got better practices so give that money there you know like I think we have one more question here. Yes, you, sir, in the uh, gray uh, quarters. Yeah. <laughs> so, Lori touched on this a little bit ago, but as far as marketing uh, goes, five years ago, and even today, uh, anecdotally, are you seeing positive change right now? And if so, what is that positive change that you're seeing? If you're talking about just commercials, yes. Just say, no, I, just like, just anecdotally, in your own, in your uh, own job field, like, what, what, do you, what do you do? I'm going to, I'll answer that. I, I'll plug my podcast. My podcast, Boys Are From Martin. I interview other women in beer. So, you know, I, I, I ask this question to other women because, you know, the, we all see different things in this industry, you know. And, and a lot of the answer is yes, because I think ever since May happened, there's been this, like, shift where women just don't give a shit anymore. They're tired. <laughs> they're tired. And, and, like, so I think... You know, if, if I was to be working and something happened, I would, I think I'm now at a point where I would say something because I'm like, I'm done putting up with shit and I'm also not afraid if I lose, you know, lose my job, then I don't want to work for that company anyway. I think we're at this point where like, we're like, okay, if we, if we say something and like we get fired, then maybe we shouldn't be working for that company anyway. And I think a lot of brands now are putting in co like code of conduct, skills are putting in code of conduct, festivals are putting in code of conduct for things at festivals. You know, breweries are putting a, you know, a, like a, with the Brave Noise collab, you know, to do that collab, you have to, to create, I, I keep saying code of conduct, I don't know if that's the word, but for your company. And so I think there's a change happening, but the only, the shitty thing is this huge reckoning had to happen for this change to come, but in a weird way, I'm, we're, I think we're all glad that it did because now as women in beer, people who, are, who identify as non-binary non are have a more safer space and can be more vocal. So I would say yes to that answer. There is a change happening and a positive one. Um, 
I think that to bounce off of what you just said, like there can't be accountability unless there is transparency. And I feel like that is definitely a thing that's happening now where people like, whether we like it or not, are uh, changing practices because they're worried about being called out or they have been. And so that is what we are now getting to live in a world where like people don't have to have shitty conversations or work environments because all of a sudden they're concerned that they might get called out and be held accountable for their shitty practices. Generally in the industry, what I see is like the branding and advertising of do bro get on my level is dead. Thank God. Because <laughs> nobody wanted to be on your level anyway. Your beer might have been great, but no one thought you were funny. <laughs> so we're real glad that like the dude bro get on my level. Everybody has to take a joke whether or not it is hurtful or um, uh, just downright shitty and abusive. Like I think that that's been taken off the table, finally. And I am stoked on that. Yeah, I think the days of offensive beer labels are gone because you will get called out. And yeah. well, they're, they're not gone, but the, I think they they're not gone. Out. But they'll get called out. They're, they they're still out if there. If you want your brand to last, then you're definitely tapering it down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But they're they're still coming out there though. I'm. Seeing. Oh, okay, Kyle, we'll get you. Last question. Okay, real quick. Let's go, Kyle. Come on, Kyle. Yeah, so we talked on that a little bit earlier, but I think I think the biggest thing is like reaching, you know, it's who we're marketing to, you know, where we're posting job postings. Are we posting it just on Indeed? Or are we posting on, um, there's a great website and brand called Beer Culture where they market to people of color. Like, where are you posting your jobs? And I think that's really important. And you know, obviously using language that's very inclusive when you hire somebody or, you know, saying, oh, you must have two years of beer experience. Well, you don't need to have two years of beer experience to work in beer. You could just be passionate about beer. So I think, you know, especially just hiring like a part-time bartender, it, it's really important to use the right language where it's very welcome to anyone and not just someone who's already like a certified Cicerone. Because most people aren't. And, but most people want to get there so you could be a good stepping stool to teach to get them there. As long, you know, with me, I always just hire someone who's very personable and can have a conversation with customers and loves, and has somewhat of a passion for beer. You can teach that beer passion or about your beer, but if you just get someone in who's essentially just a, a rad person, like, that's all that matters. It doesn't matter lucky. what they look like or who they are. Yeah. I mean, I'm really lucky because I only have five people on staff other than myself. And my chef is black and my head brewer is a woman and a mother and a wife, I guess, too. That's important. Um, but, like, I'm just lucky because I was just like, hey, I know people who know how to do jobs good. And they also are not white dudes. And it was tight. So I don't have good hiring practices other than that. But, like, again, like, I feel like the whole mentality of, like, if you see it, you can be it. Like knowing that like hiring those people and having those people as like my number twos communally um means that like people who walk in see who it is who's on staff for me 
And I know that that means something to people. I know that when you walk into a space and you see yourself represented in the space, then you know that you can be there. You know that like, if you were like, hey, like a job, you're not gonna be like judged or scoffed at. You know what I mean? But again, I'm just lucky because those are the people that I wanted to do the jobs anyways. I think like 70% of my staff are women, which is amazing, so good, we're yeah. out there. Um, or, and or at, um, LGBTQ, like, which is great. And I honestly, like moving here to Louisville's mid pandemic to hire people was really tough to like target certain communities and certain like diversities and whatever, like, so that was a little bit tough, but obviously ended up very wonderfully and I agree with Amelia like when you walk into a place and you're just like oh like this is great and you're not like getting hit on or whatever like no matter what gender or race or like sexuality you have I think that's like really important I think that that should just be that's I mean I guess it's point of this panel is like that's just gonna continue to hopefully be let's normalize better it. normalize it yes okay I think that's if for the panel, but we have a photo, we want to do a big photo? Yeah, panelists could actually just move over here. So we're going to do a big photo, but first of all, give it up for our panelists. <laughs> I know. Thank you, Caitlin, Lori, Amelia, and Leah.